HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Um, well, you know, Yoram, the thing is this. I'm not the only one. Yeah. There are so many other people that will tell you the same stories. We are hearing stories of 30-year-olds just dying, right. yeah. having a stroke. We're hearing stories of mothers going to work one day and coming back saying, I'm tired and not waking up anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, these things are preventable. We can yeah. prevent this. And... We have to want to make that difference, you know? And I'm all about telling our stories because in telling my story, in telling my experience, I hope that somebody says, you know what, maybe I should go to the doctor. You know, maybe I should take a look at what I'm eating because these conditions that we're seeing, you know, in terms of diabetes and hypertension, heart disease, and even some forms of cancer, I actually really called diseases of lifestyle. Hey everyone, you're listening to Item 13, a bi-weekly podcast covering everything African food, and I'm your host, Yom Tego. Every other week, we'll delve into the world of African food, chefs, curators, and bloggers. I hope you enjoy it. My guest this week is Cordialis Musora Casago, founder of the African Pod Nutrition, a consultancy that improves the health of people of African descent through diet and lifestyle changes. An advocate for heritage foods and healthy cultural practices, Cordialis specializes in prevention and treatment of chronic disease, family wellness, and nutrition education. She holds a certificate in adult weight management from California State University, Los Angeles, and earned a master's in African Area Studies from the University of California, Los Angeles. She's a regular contributor to various media outlets. This was a powerful, powerful conversation, and I'm so grateful to Cordialis for sharing her story. Here's the episode. So welcome to the show, Cordialis. It's great to have you on. Yay! Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on the show with you. Yeah, I know. I think this is perfect timing. We're recording um, just before Christmas, and this will go out sometime early in the new year. But I think it's probably a good thing that it's going out after Christmas when people have had all the naughty bits of food there is to have. And there we go. We're about... all stuffed and ready to make changes, right? And ready to make changes, exactly. So we're going to be talking about nutrition and diet uh the african way if you will 
Yes. Um, but let's start with talking about you. Let's learn a little bit more about you, your background, and sort of how you ended up in, in this space. So you're originally from Zimbabwe. You were born in Zimbabwe. Yes, I was born and raised in Zimbabwe. Okay. And you, you know how everybody says there was a, a turning point for them when they decided that they knew exactly what they wanted to do mm-hmm. with their lives? Yeah. You know, I was seven when I oh, decided wow. that. I, I wanted to be a dietitian. Okay. And it so happened, my friend said to me, my mother works with women and children and she travels around the world. And that was it. I was like, travel, sign me up. You know, <laughs> that's what I want to do. And I remember all through primary school, I was telling everybody that I was going to be a dietitian, but I never knew what a dietitian did. <laughs> but I kept saying, that is, that is what I'm going to do. And my mother never thought to correct me and say, hey, babe, this is what a dietitian does. When I got to secondary school, we got the choice to pick between doing fashion and fabrics, which was sewing, or food and nutrition, which was cooking. And I was like, well, it was boarding school. Yeah. And those that went to boarding school know how difficult (laughs) it was to get good quality food sometimes. Right. Or rather like food that wasn't the traditional everyday beans and, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of a starch. And so um, I was like, well, I want to study um, food and nutrition because I get to cook and have some extra provisions, you know, <laughs> after class. Little did I know that I was actually sowing the seeds for what I would do mm-hmm. with my future. And I, I started learning about food and nutrition and what it does in your body. And I remember one day, I think I must have been like in form three, form four at that time. And the teacher said something about a dietitian. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's what I'm going to do when I grow up. You know, that's what I've been telling people I'm going to do. And so it it stuck with me at that time. I realized that I loved food and I loved what I was learning in high school at that time. Mm -hmm. And I decided that. Since I've been saying it since I was seven, <laughs> I am going to just go ahead with the flow and I'm going to be a dietitian. Um, so after high school, I got the opportunity to come to America to further my education. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was time to pick a major. And I said, hey, I want to study nutrition <laughs> because I'm going to be a dietitian. Uh, my mother was not a big fan. <laughs> All all along, she thought that, okay, well, um, she's going to change her mind. She doesn't really know what it is. But then when I came and I said, I'm going to be a dietitian, my mother was like, no, 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 honey, you're going to be so frustrated because the very fatty piece of meat that you're telling somebody (laughs) not to eat is the very fatty piece of meat that they're eyeing in the pot and saying that one is mine. Yeah. You know, but it was great. You know, I I was like, this is really what I want to do. And I ended up studying um, to be a dietitian. Um, And here I am many years later, you know, fulfilling that dream of a seven-year-old girl. (laughs) That is so cool because I I wonder how many people I know who knew exactly what they wanted to do when they were seven and have sort of stuck (laughs) with it for, you know, who knows, 20 years later, 30 years later. Well, she had she had me at travel, you know. She <laughs> they travel. I was like, "That's it. Sign me up." Well, you know, actually, but... when you say that, though, could you tell us a little bit then? Like, what is the life of a dietitian? Like, what do you do as a dietitian? <laughs> 
That's a fantastic question because I think much like my mother telling me, you know, I'll be so frustrated because nobody would want to listen to what yeah. I have to say, you know, it's, it's quite contrary to that. You know, many people view being a dietitian as the food police, right. you know, and my job, they think that my job is to look at their plates and tell them, you know, oh, what are you eating and why are you eating that? Yeah. But no, you know, it's like my job is to help you eat a little bit better. It's not for me to tell you what to eat, but to help you figure out the things that you need to be doing to get healthier. Okay. You know, so right. part of what a dietitian does is work individually with you. Okay. Let's take a look at the foods that you like to eat. Let's take a look at how you like to cook them. And now is, is the combination of those things, how you like to eat, how you like to cook or not cook, you know, <laughs> impacting your health. And if it is, where are the opportunities mm -hmm. for us to make improvements? And I use the word us because it's not me telling you what to do. Okay. It is together and right. also you as the individual saying, you know what? I really like plantain. <laughs> right? <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> I really like plantain. And so let's figure out how we can have plantain for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yes. And my job is to help you figure out how to do that and still have a balanced diet. Oh, that's so funny because I just had this conversation with um, um, someone else uh, who mm -hmm. just put out a plantain cookbook. And I was like, if I could have plantain for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I would be a happy girl. Well, girl, I'm here to help you figure out how we're going to do that, right? No, that's good. And that's good to hear because you're right. Like when you think of a dietitian or a nutritionist, you always think this is the person that's going to tell me what not to eat or, you know, yeah. like make my eating a lifestyle just that much worse. So yeah. that's, no. that's, that's really good to hear. And, and it's not, and it's not me telling you what not to eat. I like to tell you what to eat, you know, <laughs> so that we can live and be healthy, you know, right. Um, okay, so let's move, shift gears a little bit and then talk about African Pot Nutrition, which is your blog, consultant, consultancy. Um, what was your inspiration to start it and what do you hope to achieve with it? Because, you know, you're doing on your, you know, professionally, by a dietitian, you're a nutritionist. How do you decide to sort of add this extra arm, I guess, if you want to call it that, to or additional thing to your plate, I guess? versus what you do on a day-to-day -day for your for your job? You know what? It, it just flowed naturally. Um, I'm going to tell you the story of my mom because I cannot separate the African posh nutrition okay. from my mother because she was a very strong influence in okay. it. So um, my mother was educated um, in the United States, and mm -hmm. she went back home. After she went back home, um, one day I called, long story short, I called and my nephew answered the phone and he was five. And I asked, Hey, can I speak to grandma? And he's like, no, grandma's sleeping. She's sick. I was like, Oh, okay. I'll call her tomorrow. The next day I called, Hey, can I speak to grandma? And he's like, uh, uh, grandma, her tummy hurts. The third day I called and he's like, no, grandma's sleeping. And I said, you need to go wake grandma yeah. up, you know? And, um, he went and he woke his grandma up and she came to the phone and I'll never forget her voice because it sounded tired. It mm -hmm. sounded weak. And it sounded as if, you know, when somebody drinks some water and is gurgling? Yeah. 
And it, she had this gurgle in her voice mm. as she was speaking to me. And I said to her mom, you need to go see a doctor. And she said, no, it's just a cold. It's just going around. Right. And I insisted, you know, by day five, mom, you've had this thing for five days and you're just sounding worse and worse. You have to go see the doctor. So she went to see a doctor and was immediately told that she needed to start kidney dialysis. Oh, wow. Her kidneys had failed. And they looked at it and discovered that she had very high blood pressure. And over the years, you know, it's like my mom was one of those typical of many Africans. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't go to the doctor unless we are very sick. (laughs) You know, it's like and she she might have complained of a headache here and there or just, you know, felt a little weak. But just said, ah, it's just, you know, Mm -hmm. old age or I'm just tired. But in that moment, she went in and the doctor said, your kidneys have failed. We need to start dialysis today. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And that was in June. By August, my mother had passed. (gasps) Oh, my God. Yes. And that shook me, that that, that experience of losing my mother, you know. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. You know, that's okay. Uh, But losing her that quickly over a short period of time really got to me. And... I started to think about how she had opportunities that the average person in Zimbabwe did not have. And to top it all off, her daughter was a dietitian who spent her days educating people how to prevent and manage the very condition that took her. And I was shocked. That that shook me. Yeah, I'm I'm listening. I'm just just listening and I'm shocked. To be honest, wow. (laughs) You know, and it it made me start thinking about how many more people are there that are going through this. I started to look at the research around hypertension, not Mm -hmm. only in Zimbabwe, but throughout Africa. And there was a lot of research that was being published about the prevalence of hypertension in Africa and that it was increasing across the years. But... I I was looking also for resources, you know, what are governments Mm -hmm. doing to address this? You know, what are organizations doing to talk about this? So I reached out to one of the lead authors that his name kept appearing on all these studies. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to him and said, hey, tell me about prevention efforts that are held in African countries. And he emailed me back and told me that he didn't know of any. And I I thought to myself, wow, this is just a really Mm. sad situation. And in that moment, I started to think about what I could do to help, you know, um, prevent people from losing their lives. Um, But one day I was watching, it was New Year's Eve, and I was watching, you know, television, and they were talking about the best diets for the best health and, you know, the best foods in the world. And there was nothing that was talked about African food. And I started to think, wait a minute, you know, our food is healthy, our food can mm-hmm. fit. Why is it not there? I Googled African food, African nutrition, and there was nothing oh, wow. that came up. And so I, I got mad. I got mad that um, there was no discussion about African food. I got mad that there was no prevention efforts that were going on. And I got mad that I lost my mother to a preventable condition. And I said, I'm going to make a difference. So that is how I started just blogging. My first post was about 
why African diets are healthy. Mm. And from there, I just started writing and writing and it evolved into people consulting me saying, hey, what do I need to do to manage my condition? And so that's how the African part was really born. Oh, wow. That's like, I I feel like I need a moment. Like that was such an amazing story. And I don't know, I'm probably going off on a tangent here, but it just, because your story just really hit me. Um, and reminds me partly of why I do this is to get our stories out there, right? Um, the stories of people in the African food space that are doing, you know, really great things. And that personal, I don't know, <laughs> I'm going off the cuff here, but this, this really touched me. So I'm sorry if I seem a little. <laughs> um, well, you know, Yoram, the thing is this. I'm not the only one. Yeah. There are so many other people that will tell you the same stories. We are hearing stories of 30-year-olds just dying, having a stroke. We're hearing stories of mothers going to work one day and coming back saying, I'm tired and not waking up anymore. You know, and I'm like, these things are preventable. We can prevent this. And we have to want to make that difference, you know. And I'm all about telling our stories. Because in telling my story, in telling my experience, I hope that somebody says, you know what, maybe I should go to the doctor. You know, maybe I should take a look at what I'm eating. Because these conditions that we're seeing, you know, in terms of diabetes and hypertension, heart disease, and even some forms of cancer, I actually really call diseases of lifestyle. Yeah, and it's, it's our lifestyle that is driving them. And it's and it's interesting when we'll come, we'll sort of delve into after you know after we talk about the blog, we'll delve into that more specifically, mm-hmm. uh, lifestyle and dieting. But just as you mentioned, you know how you know you couldn't find anything on like African health, the nutrition, you know anything about that when you first googled it. And I feel like it's the same for me. So when I go home for the holidays, a lot of the times, or even just during the year, um, for whatever reason. Like when I'm looking for healthy, quote unquote, healthy food, I am mm-hmm. here away from local foods, right? Because in my mind, our local food is not <laughs> healthy. And so I'm, when I'm looking for healthy alternatives, like I'll go to a smoothie place or like a salad bar or whatever, because, and I don't know sort of what, how that inter- indoctrination happened or, you know, I, I really don't know. It just in my mind, our food isn't healthy. And so... Mm-hmm. I, I eat local food because, you know, it's um it's homey and it's indulgent and, you know, it just gives you that sense of, you know, being at home or connected to home. But mm-hmm. when I'm looking for healthy food, I don't go towards um, health. So I'm actually looking forward to our conversation down, down the road here where we talk about, you know, specific local indigenous food, what those healthy options and i think some of it also has to do with the way we cook the food portion (laughs) portion control and all of that good stuff Uh, but we'll we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit but just want to wrap up you know the components of your blog and the consultants the consultant work you do so then from what i've read you know from looking on the blog you do um meal planning you do nutrition courses could you speak a little bit about those components and if there's anything else that you do as part of that and then we'll talk about the food database too okay so part of it is um as a dietitian i i work with people that are trying to improve their diet whether it is just 
hey, I just need to be healthier or I need to manage diabetes. I need to manage um, hypertension. And so through the nutrition classes, you know, I like to say, I'll tell you everything that I know about what you need to do to manage your condition. Um, And so I, I, I take people through a journey of what it is that they can do um, to eat better and feel better. Um, so some, a class might include, first of all, I always start by saying, before I work with anyone, mm-hmm. I ask that individual to take pictures of every single thing that they eat. <laughs> oh, gosh. And send it to me. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and it's important. Right, right. Okay? Because I want to know what you're working with, mm-hmm. what's going on, you know, and I can read in between the lines, you know, if you start sending me smoothies and salads, you know, and, yeah. uh, and a plate full of vegetables, you know, you're going to get an email from me saying, come on now, you know, let's have this uh, talk. But I, I think part of it is really looking and understanding what a person eats. And so when we start working together, you mm-hmm. keep, I call it a food diary. Okay. Uh, and I like pictures because yeah. pictures tell me a lot. Yeah. And I can look at pictures and ask you questions. They don't have to be like, you know, what we see on Instagram. Right. Just take a picture of what you <laughs> <Yeah>. put. <Okay. laughs> right. And then um, from there, we work together in terms of meal planning. I might work with you through the first week, but by like week two, week three, I'm asking you, hey, why don't you plan your meals? And then I'll look over it for you. The the goal of the classes is to help you learn about your food and the environment and how to manage whatever condition you're trying to manage, okay, such that you can go shopping or you can feel free to eat and not be afraid about what it might do to you, your health condition, or your body. And that's the goal of the nutrition classes, okay. just kind of empowering you to eat better and live better. Okay. 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 And then you also have this African food database mm-hmm. as part of the blog, if you could talk about that. Because the first thing I thought of when I saw that was um, like something that helps me or, you know, anyone that is um, interested count your calories because <laughs> one of the things that I think is difficult and whether calorie counting is, is good or bad and that's probably a separate, separate conversation mm-hmm. um, I've just found that it's really hard to figure out like the nutritional components of our food like, mm-hmm. to be able to tell you know how nutritious is this or like in this in the span of what I'm quote unquote allowed to eat in a day like how much of this does that take right <laughs> right so actually part of that the, the calories and all the nutritional information is actually based on an app so i do have an app oh, that okay. I, I work with people and i've uploaded a lot of nutritional information so when i work with individuals i'd like to know just the total diet not necessarily how many calories you're right. eating but i want to know are you iron deficient are you getting mm-hmm. enough you know, vitamin D, let's take a look at your diet to make sure that you're getting enough nutrients, you know, and that way I can help you help yourself, right? Right. And so that that is a separate component. But um, 
the database was basically designed because like to your point earlier, you mentioned how sometimes you just don't know what foods you should be eating. Right. And so the, da- the database was something that I created because I was getting a lot of questions about, is this healthy? Is mm-hmm. this not healthy? Should I be eating this? <laughs> and so, I, you know, I, I just started to just gather my thoughts and start writing short little blurbs about different foods. Okay. And with each food that I wrote, I created a little, a little seal. There's a green seal which means, you know, green for go, go for it, yeah. right? And then we have an orange seal, which is like, you know, use these foods moderately. While they have some healthy components, you know, you don't want to kind of go overboard with them. And then we have a red seal, and the red seal is re- is reserved for foods that we should be using, basically, I call them celebration foods as <laughs> celebrations. Yeah. You know? And so that each food in the database basically includes that. But I deliberately started by making sure that the items that I had Mm -hmm. a lot more of were the green items because so many times when you think of eating well people think what should I not eat right yeah and I'm saying no I want you to think about what you can eat rather than what you should not be eating and so you'll notice a lot of green seal items on there because I want you to eat more of those foods because those are the foods that have been shown to improve health and mainly it is the African foods that you don't find nutrition information on but as much as my job as a nutrition scientist is to take that information that is out there, the little science that is available, and kind of turn it into information that you can use as a consumer. You know, you don't need to know the science behind it. Right. Just but, the yeah, information. Just having a simple um, way of telling, you know, a quick, I don't need to know all of the detailed scientific information exactly, behind it, know? but just knowing it's good for me or it's not. Um, yes, and then being yes. able to make those decisions around it. Okay, that's great. Uh, I think we've gotten to a good point where we can take a break. And then when okay. we come back, we'll we'll delve into this topic really of, of diet and nutrition, um, the African way, why we've lost our way and how we can sort of find our way way back you know yes Uh, absolutely so let's do that okay so we're back from the break and now we're going to sort of dive in to to the topic of you know eating well the african way is what i'm calling it um <laughs> okay so I've seen I like- you, <laughs> yeah i've seen you say on on your website on the blog that our forefathers were the epitome of health because of what they ate and how they lived mm-hmm. and so i wanted to start with asking you what what makes a meal good for you or healthy like what what because i think that sometimes it's not even truly clear to us you know Mm -hmm. because people have discussions about fried versus baked versus you know (laughs) yeah i I think that's a that's a really great question you know what makes a meal healthy right okay and there's there are many different things that we need to look at and um the first thing that I tell people, it's about balance. Okay. So so many times we're told, eat this, not that. Right. Do this, not that. But it, it's all about creating balance. One way to determine whether your meal is healthy, I say at every single meal, you want to have a serving of fruit and vegetables. Every, every single meal, meal in, <laughs> okay. including breakfast. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
And I think that is the, the, the corner or the cornerstone of defining what a healthy diet might look like, you know. Okay. So start out that way. And then including more plant, we call it like, I like to call it plant forward diets, okay. whereby you have a lot more plants in your diet. Okay. And then always including a source of protein and protein doesn't necessarily have to be meat, right? <laughs> and Africans, if I yeah. say protein, people are like meat and yeah. they say more meat, the better, right? But no, you know, having a portion of meat. So I know we'll talk about portions a little bit, but if I may just say, when I say a portion of meat, mm-hmm. right, the, the size that is recommended, if you take a look at your palm mm-hmm. or just your palm. Yeah. Take away the fingers and just look at your palm. Yeah. That is about the serving size of protein that is recommended. Okay. Okay. If you have a bigger palm than I do, lucky you, you get a big piece, <laughs> right? But looking at that, and then the size of your starches also matters. Okay. Also making sure you have a whole starch. You know, we want to make sure that your diet is keeping food as close to its natural source as possible. So going back to your plantain, yeah. if you're having plantain, how close to its original form is it? Okay. Right? The closer it is to being like that whole plantain, mm-hmm. the healthier that it is. Okay. Okay. So kind of looking at it from that standpoint. But if I had to say what makes a healthy diet, number one is balance. Okay. You know, people like to say, I, I'm just going to eat fruits and vegetables. No, honey, you need balance. <laughs> right? You need balance. There's yeah. a place for that piece of meat if you eat meat. There right. is a place for it in your diet, so make sure you include it. Okay. No, that's actually very helpful, you know, when I think about even just, um, especially starchy foods, right? It, it, it comes back to that idea, starchy foods and protein, because mm-hmm. I think... It comes to that idea of portion sizing and control where if from a West African perspective, if you're going to have or specifically Ghanaian perspective, if you're going to have a bowl of fufu with all of the fixings, you have that big bowl of um, fufu, which is made with uh, cassava and yam Uh in some cases pounded with, you know, a light soup or a peanut soup. And then you will have typically, especially if you go to a traditional chop bar is what we call it. You have some chicken, some beef, some fish, you know, <laughs> you have, you know, almost the whole forest thrown, thrown at, at that meal for you to feel like, okay, I'm having a true, I'm truly enjoying and having this fufu. And it's also good to know, based on what you said, that as long as it's close to its original form. So fufu is great, right? It's not this, it's not over-processed. Yes. It's, it's the it, plantain, it, 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 it's the yam, it's just been pounded, Right. Right. But then, you know, there is that yam that has been pounded and then there's the fufu in a box. Yeah, right, right. right. So, and in my experience, a lot of my West African friends are using the fufu in a box. You know, it's like, come, I make you fufu and it's coming in a box (laughs) and the water, right? So now we're talking about Africans in the diaspora, right? Where they don't have, (laughs) actually, maybe not so, even maybe probably, you know, middle income. Yeah, you know, but we're seeing that, you know, we we are seeing that. But even in East Africa and Southern Africa, where cornmeal is what we Mm -hmm. use to make our, 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 like, our gali, right? When you think about it, it has been processed. 
exist, right? Mm. And then you have the one where you just, we call it straight run, yeah. where you just put it in the mill and it's just kind of run and then it comes out. It's yeah. the one that takes longer to cook and it's got, it's got some, I call it grime. It's got like this mouthfeel. <laughs> but then the more expensive the, the maize meal costs, the more refined it is, yeah. right? And so the more refined that your maize meal is, the less it is away from your original form right. of the cornmeal. You know, so you want to kind of take a look at looking at that. It's the processed foods and how much processing has gone right. through. As food is processed, nutrients are lost. Right. And so it's important to kind of remember that. No, I think that's a good, good guideline, right? Because even if I think I think of um, leafy greens, right? So any sort of green, you know, vegetables that are good for you. So in Nigeria, they'll do the Ifuriro. And in Ghana, we'll have kuntumwe, um, cassava mm-hmm. leaves that are cooked. I tend to think that we probably overcook them, right? And it ends up losing its nutritional value. So you could mm-hmm. have... Your yam and ampesi, we'll call it the ampesi meal, where you have yam, boiled yam with um, kunchumri stew or whatever. But then this, the leaves have been cooked, so cooked down that, you know, it's sort of lost its nutritional value. And then it's actually, I was going to ask you about this, and then it's also smothered in, in palm oil. And I know palm oil has been quite <laughs> controversial, right? I don't know what your thoughts are on on how good or not palm oil is. Okay. Before I get to the palm oil, I just want to mention about the cooking of the vegetables. Yes. As Africans, we, 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 we cook our vegetables to death. Right. (laughs) And, and part of what I educate people is, you know, let's look and see if there are other ways to cook our vegetables. Right. And sometimes I've had people tell me that when I cook my cassava leaves and I don't cook them well, they just don't taste right. No, I want them to boil. (laughs) So here's the thing. When you boil your vegetables, don't throw away the water. Mm. Keep that water because when you boil them, the the nutrients go into the water. We call it the nutrients leach into the water. And so if you throw away that water, I call it rich water because it's got all your nutrients in it. Okay? So use it to cook something else. You know, add it to your stew, add it somewhere else so that you still retain some of those nutrients. But of course... Not overcooking the vegetables is is always best. Now, when it comes to palm oil, I'll be honest with you, you know, I'm a scientist, right? (laughs) And I say, say, you know, nutrition is a science, not an opinion. Right. (laughs) And palm oil is something that I am really torn about. Okay. And I'll tell you why. The science tells me it's a saturated fat, Right, mm-hmm. and saturated fats are bad for you because they clog your arteries and mm-hmm. they're not for your heart. You know, then I look at the studies, and the studies that have been done have been done looking at it with the Western eye, right. whereby palm oil in the West is used for you know baked goods right. and cookies, yeah. you know, those celebration right. foods. Yeah, and then of course they turn around and say, ah, it's a saturated fat, <laughs> and then when you look at the food it's added to, it's not quite healthy, mm-hmm. you know. But when I look at it in the African experience, the thing about palm oil is, first of all, we use palm oil in stews, and in our stew we have a lot of vegetables, right. we have out of beans you know we have different things that are cooked together with this palm oil and it is eaten as part of a meal right and in addition to that palm oil is very rich in vitamin a and other nutrients Mm. now vitamin a is a nutrient that africans just tend not to get a lot of 
And so when I say I'm torn, <laughs> I'm torn by the science. Yeah. But I look at our ancestors who ate palm oil quite a bit and were very healthy and did not have these diseases of lifestyle. So what I would like to see is more research that looks at us as Africans and how we use palm oil. You know, I I want to believe that when we look at it that way, we might actually see some differences in terms of how our bodies utilize that palm oil, how it fits in our diet. Versus the way it's it's used in the West, right? Yes. And that being said... I know that many of us think that, you know, I have to honor my guests and show them the palm oil swimming on top of the <laughs> Right? Yes. Yeah. It's like maybe we need to have the conversation now. Right. Yes, it has some health benefits, but does it need to be swimming on top of the pot? <laughs> you know? That's a different conversation. But, you and, know, I've, I've actually had, in, in some of these conversations, I've heard, I've heard the, that, part of the reason why you know there's also you know showing your guests that you're giving them a rich you know good food (laughs) but then some people have also said it's a preservation technique right so that the oil sitting on top helps preserve the protein that's in in the stew and can help keep it for for longer i don't know how true that is but i've heard some people also say that so (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I have not heard that before. Yeah. I'll have to look into it. That's uh, interesting. Anyway, so um, the other thing I wanted to touch on then, you know, as we're talking about palm oil and all of this stuff, is there's a perception that good food cannot be tasty food. <laughs> oh, right. My. So, and I mean, I, I will not lie, I'm one of those people. I, I just feel like when I'm having food that's quote-unquote good for me it's almost feels like a punishment right like i'm depriving myself of yeah i'm depriving myself of um tastier food (laughs) so when you work with your clients like how do you and i'm sure that comes up how do you like how do we think about it how do we reverse psychology (laughs) psychologically this mindset that you know if you're having a good food then it's doesn't taste good you know, I, I, I hear where you're coming from because oftentimes, you know, the things that we add to food to add flavor are salt, right. fat, and sugar. Yeah. Right? The three things that when you sit with me, I'm like, okay, let's take a look at this fat. How much oil are we adding to this? Right. You know, we just talked about palm oil, you know? And I, and then if I'm like, okay, reduce the amount, it might not taste the same, you know? And I think part of it is that we've trained our taste buds mm. to taste food a certain yeah. way. Once you start making that change, you start to taste the food and it will taste a different way. It takes time. It definitely does. (laughs) But, you know, it's like if you've ever fed a baby, right? And once, let's say the first time you give a baby something that has salt, the very first time, look at their face. They make this face like, oh, my God, what is this nasty stuff you're giving me? Yeah. Right? But as you keep feeding it to them, their taste buds adjust and they get used to it. Similarly, once you start taking away some of these things, right, you have to let your taste buds adjust. But that doesn't mean that healthy food has to be um, untasty. We have to, you know, it's, it's about giving you the skills, right? So part of me is 
let's t- talk about if we're taking away salt, mm-hmm. what can we add to make food more flavorful? Right. You know, we're going to talk about some herbs. We're going to talk about spices that add that flavor yeah. without the salt. So it's about learning how to cook it. You know, it's like most people think that when I say take away salt, I mean just boil the food and <laughs> eat it. No. It's about learning the different ways that you can cook to flavor right. and give food that meaning. Healthy food does not have to taste horrible. <laughs> yeah, and especially as people are, you know, embarking on their New Year resolutions. On, and I think that's how people end up not um, being able to live those too, right? Because they feel like they're being deprived. The food they're eating, yes. the quote-unquote healthy food they're eating doesn't taste good. So thinking about, you know, different ways to keep the flavor without, you know, drowning it and salt and butter and all those. Exactly. And, and, you know, I think it goes back to that original conversation that we had. You know, it's like you people think it's a punishment right. because you've taken away things that you like, you know. <laughs> and so I'm like, let's not take away the things that you like. Let's try and figure out how we can make them healthier so they can fit on your plate. Yeah. That's that's what I do. <laughs> And then sort of the last piece related to food before we, you know, talk about lifestyle is mm-hmm. is portion size, which we started to talk about a little bit, portion yes. sizing and control. So um, I'm not going to, I was going to put my husband on the spot, but I'm not. <laughs> I started by like, you know, let's not go down that road. So generally speaking, I feel like people, if they don't see a sizable amount of food on their plate, they don't feel like they are, you know, either if they're eating out, they're not getting their money's worth, or if mm-hmm. they're, you know, at home, they're like, it's not a complete meal if I don't feel like f- full to the point of, you know, falling over essentially. <laughs> right. I, I, I have to feel so full that you have, you need a right. wheelbarrow just to move me, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I, and, and I hear that. Uh, I think that it, it's, it, it's about our, our diets and our lifestyles have mm. changed. Yeah. And we have to adjust, you know, to make sure that everything kind of fits in. And so the, when it comes to portion control, it's the first thing that we need to look at is what, what are we eating? One way that I teach portion control is to say, I want you to take a plate. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I say it's a plate, not a platter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and. On that plate, so the average size of a plate is about nine inches, okay. which is about 23 centimeters across. Okay. So, yes, take your ruler, your tape measure, and measure that plate. <laughs> okay. And 23 centimeters across. That's about the average size of a plate that we're talking about. Okay. Okay. On that plate, the very first thing that I want you to do is fill your plate, half of it, with vegetables. Okay. Okay. Most people tell me, oh, I had vegetables on my plate. I'm like, send me a picture. And they send me and there's a tablespoon of vegetables. Right? But half a, half a plate should be vegetables. Okay? okay? Or if you want, you can do maybe on that half side, some vegetables and some fruit. Then a quarter of your plate will be your protein, whether it is beans okay. or peas. Yeah or fish, or goats, whatever it is, your protein makes up a quarter of your plate. And then the last quarter that's left there, that's for your rice, or your swallow, your sadza, your gali, is just a quarter of your plate. Okay. Okay, that's balance. 
And that's about what we're talking about when we talk about portion. Okay. Now, if you eat that food, take your time as you eat. Okay. After you're done, everything is, is done, and you still feel like you want to eat some more. I always tell people, give yourself a few minutes just to really think, because it takes a little while for yeah. your brain to register that you're full. Okay? okay? Give yourself a little time. If you're still hungry, go ahead and eat some more, but start with the vegetables again. <laughs> no, okay? that's, that's actually a good, and I actually, as you were describing it, I, I, I can actually see the visual of having, you know, it's, it's a good way you described it. Um, and I think it's a good guideline for, for people who are listening. My question for you, and I, and I, I think I've uh-huh. mentioned this on this podcast before too, like I, that I'm not a big fan of vegetables. Well, I'll just put it out there. Like I, I prefer fruit to vegetables. <laughs> so I'm saying if I had more fruit than vegetables on that half side of the plate, is that okay? Or, you know, if. I want more vegetables. I'll I'll say that. Okay. And when I say vegetables, if you don't like carrots, don't eat them. If you don't like cassava leaves, don't eat them. Let's find a vegetable that you like. Okay. Right. And let's go through there. You know, there are so many vegetables. Mm. So many. You can't tell me that your does not like any (laughs) vegetable at all. Right. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. So it's like. So it's not, I think so many times when we think of vegetables, we limit ourselves to the same vegetables. And then in the African experience, right, we limit ourselves to the same cooking methods, right? right? Wherever I go in Africa, everybody cooks okra the same way, (laughs) right? It's like it has to have that slime to it, right? like our okra. But maybe it's looking at it a little differently and cooking it a little bit differently. And you'll Mm. be like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, um, I, I never liked okra as a kid because right. it was slimy, slimy and I thought I was eating choke <laughs> on it. I just did not like it, you know, but now that I'm older, you know, yes, I like it, but I have learned to love okra that's roasted. Oh, I just got it. a little bit of salt and pepper and a little bit of oil and I put it in the mm. oven and oh my gosh, I could eat that all day long. That's a you good know? idea, actually. Yeah. Doesn't it sound good? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so finding out the vegetable that you like, they're there. We just have to figure out which one it is. <laughs> okay. I I will try that, actually. I've never had, but I think I would like that. I've never had yeah. Um, okra. Yeah. I think I yeah, would like that, actually. It, it, it's learning, you know. It's looking at different cooking methods just to see. Right. Maybe I don't like it slimy, but let's make it less slimy. And, um... And I know slimy is not the word. They're probably people cringing every time I say that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, but I, I think, yeah, I think in uh, African countries, there are people that love, love the slime. I will tell you that. So, yes. <laughs> um, okay. And I mean, so one of the reasons then or excuses people also have for not eating healthy is, is their busy lifestyles, right? So they'll say, you know, I, yeah. I have to get up at 4 or 5 a.m. to catch the bus, the train, the subway, wherever to get to work by X time and then you know by the time I'm back at seven or eight PM I'm just not about to light up the stove and go through this process of of cooking. Especially and I'll speak for West African cooking in particular, which can be quite time consuming. And probably to your point of, you know, that, uh, we don't vary our cooking styles. Like if you're gonna cook the way you, you grew up, you know, your grandma, or your mom cooking, it's just quite time consuming. Mm-hmm. And that is where we talk about meal planning, right? Okay. Most people think about meal planning as writing down what you're going to eat when, 
But meal planning also includes planning how you're going to cook. Okay. Right? I mentioned to you, I'm I'm a mom and I work, and so part of my weekends include planning our family meals, going to the supermarket, and Sundays are spent actually prepping some of the meals. Sometimes I will actually cook the stew ahead of time, so that food is readily available. You know, and there's a little bit of work that comes to it. Yes, it's easier to stop by somewhere and you know pick up something that's <laughs> right and you know done that way. But there's also value in taking that time out to prep and work ahead, so that it's a little bit easier during the week. Okay. Now that actually, yeah. So that time you'll spend, you know, Saturday or Sunday, you know, portioning out stuff and yes. deciding ahead of time. Then when you come home, you already know sort of what's gonna be done, and that that sort of helps, yeah. Yeah, and there's nothing worse than coming back from work and standing in front of the fridge looking, hey, <laughs> yeah. what am I going to cook? What am I, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it gets frustrating and it yeah. just sounds so much easier yeah. to just to just go and buy something or to you fry something. But if you take, you know, that's why we talk about meal planning, mm -hmm. you know, I think that if we took the time out to really plan what we're going to eat and then get, make sure that we have the ingredients that we need. I, it makes it a little bit easier yeah. if you prep it ahead. Um, and it's all in the plan. Okay. Um, one of the last questions I have for you has to do with something I think I, I, I read somewhere. I don't know if it's a quote from a paper that you had where you, you said nutrition is a double burden for refugees and immigrant populations. Oh, I don't okay. know if, if, you, if uh, this rings a bell, but I was wondering what you, what you meant by that. <coughs> So, excuse me. Um, yeah, actually, that was, I, I presented at um, the, it's called Food and Nutrition Conference and Expo, which is the me the largest meeting of nutrition professionals um, in the United States. Okay. Um, as, as you know, I'm a registered dietitian, right. and I presented at the conference on um, refugee and immigrant nutritional health. And it was more related to the double burden. They, we call it the double burden, but it's actually a triple burden. Okay. And what that means is that when we look at the refugee and immigrant population that are coming in to uh, in the United States was the country that I was presenting mm. about. Um, you know, traditionally, when we look at people coming in from developing countries or most of the refugees, there may be some incidents of malnutrition or undernutrition. Okay. Okay. So most people, when they think of malnutrition, they think of undernutrition whereby people have been starving and think of the pictures that we see of yeah. children, right? But actually malnutrition is actually multi-pronged. And what we see now, mal means bad, okay. bad nutrition. Uh, Obesity yeah. is a form of malnutrition. Oh, you know, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. So mal basically means bad. Malfunction, it's a bad function. Yeah. Malnutrition, bad nutrition, right? Or poor nutrition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when we think of the refugee and immigrant population that is coming into the United States, they are experiencing, you know, underweight and undernutrition, mm -hmm. right? That is That has been historically the case. But now we've seen a transition in which obesity is also very common in developing countries. Yeah. So they're coming in with undernutrition and overnutrition. But 
within those two forms of nutrition, we also have what's called micronutrient deficiency, in which people are eating, people are overnourished, but the uh, missing certain nutrients. Okay. And so you have that burden of trying to figure out how to actually treat individuals when they're coming in with all these what we call burdens of malnutrition. Okay, and I know um, you do, I don't know if you do some work, you know, with, and maybe this conference is sort of one of those platforms where you try to educate um, dietitians, healthcare professionals on our nutritional needs, right, as an African immigrant population. Could you speak a little bit more about that as we wrap up the conversation? Yes, absolutely. I think the um, African immigrant population, you know, we talk about the African diaspora Mm -hmm. and it is spreading. And when... A lot of African um, immigrants, when they come into the United States, some of them are coming in, as we mentioned, obese. Um, Some people are developing diabetes and chronic illness. And they're going in and they're seeing their doctors, which is awesome. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) And um, sometimes they're referred to dietitians. I've had a lot of my colleagues reach out to me and say, hey, I'm meeting with somebody from Nigeria today and I have no idea. Um, what foods or anything about that, about um, how I can better help them. And so we we have this conversation in terms of helping my colleagues, not only dietitians, but healthcare professionals as a whole, understand, you know, the nutritional needs or our food, you know, part of the um, the. Um, African food database was to help people understand, okay, oh, they eat plantain, oh, this is what's in it, you know, and kind of having that discussion and facilitating um, those particular conversations. But more importantly, also the discussion about culture and Mm. food and culture, because our culture influences so much of how we eat and how we think. You know, I like to use the example of, you know, when somebody is told you have diabetes, and they say, I reject it. <laughs> right? <laughs> to the Westerner, that means nothing. Right? What are you rejecting? But you, you and I understand that. Yeah. So having that conversation so that my colleagues in healthcare yeah. can understand some of the things that we do and why we do them, I think is crucial because mm. the African immigrant population is growing. Yeah. And we just need to have those conversations. So being somebody from that um, African community, I think I need to be able to share the story right. with from our perspective. Yeah. And I mean, I think that what you do is, is really important. Like this has been a great conversation. I think what you do is really uh, important, especially when you consider, you know, what you just said around the increasing um, population in the diaspora and then the lack of knowledge from you know the you know our western healthcare professionals dietitians about you know our culture the food we eat mm-hmm. and um how they can you know help people solve their health problems if they don't if they don't understand the context right so um this this has been really really enlightening to me also well, <laughs> um, thank really, you. really uh, helpful um um, so what's next for you? What's next for the African Port Nutrition? What are you planning? Uh, you know, what's what's coming down the pipeline for you in the next year, next few years? <laughs> well, I think a lot, you know. Um, there's there's definitely a book in the works. And, oh, uh, yay. Yay, yay. You know, we, we have to talk about that. Yeah. Um, and our, our diets and um, 
I think de definitely getting it out in writing definitely helps. And also, you know, along the same, same lines as we were talking, I know you and I had a brief conversation about, mm -hmm. you know, an upcoming podcast. Yes. And, yes. <laughs> you know, and the podcast is basically to talk about, you know, uh, I, I call it African food, African health and African culture. Yeah. Because I don't know how to separate the three. Right. They are all intertwined, intertwined you know, exactly. it's like, just like you're rejecting your diagnosis of diabetes, <laughs> you know, it's like, we have to talk about that right. and we have to understand each other and find a way to reject, but still heal. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm excited. I'm excited for the book and for the podcast also. I think we need more voices. Um, yes, absolutely. Telling our unique perspectives, sharing our unique perspectives, our stories. So that, that all sounds absolutely fantastic. Um before we transition to the rapid fire questions, though, can, can you let people know where they can find you online, social media, websites, etc.? Yes, absolutely. So I am, um, you can reach me on my website, which is the African Pot, P O T, nutrition, the African Pot Nutrition.com. Um, I am on Facebook under the African Pot Nutrition, and I am on Instagram at African Pot Nutrition. And finally, I am on Twitter, Yay. and my Twitter <laughs> handle is Africa Dietitian. Okay, I will definitely link all of that in the in the show notes so that people can also go directly there and click or link link up with you whether you want to sort of keep up to date on what's new in the African food database or just get familiar with it or connect with Cordelia's on the work she does in nutrition. Um, courses, meal planning, because I think all of that is, is really great stuff, especially if you want to um, eat good food. <laughs> That's yes. also tasty. Well, it's all about eating good food. It's all about eating good food. <laughs> Thank you so much, though, for sharing your story. Um, let's switch to rapid fire really quickly. Just a few questions uh, off the top of your head. Nothing to... <laughs> to escape. <laughs> okay. Okay, here we go. Um swallow or rice? You. Swallow. Uh Instagram or Twitter, you just said. Oh Twitter. <laughs> yeah, why? Why Twitter? <laughs> well, you know what? Instagram is great. It's pictures, you yeah. know. But Twitter I, I learn a lot more. Yeah, people share research, yeah. people share stories, and I, I learn more about what's going on in the world on Twitter than I do on yeah, Instagram. That's true. that's true. Coffee or tea? Tea. Oh, is this like the East African? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you guys also drink coffee too, so I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, there, there is some tea, and it's funny you mentioned East African because I was like chai, of course. Yeah, chai. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, sweet or salty? Salty. Yeah. Uh, morning person or night person? Definitely night. Okay. Um, and then when you're feeling lazy, what do you like to cook? What's quick and easy and, and what's quick cook. and easy and good for you <laughs> something quick and easy um if i have to cook it's probably going to be a porridge and okay. um, i'll add some peanut butter to it okay um and then if you could live on one dish for the rest of your life what would that be oh i know pumpkin leaves with peanut butter oh like, you have to try it yeah i, I don't think i've ever had that like with peanut butter, so in what form is the peanut butter though? Like just 
like you, so you you cook you cook it's like a peanut you know how you have the peanut soup or yeah. peanut mm-hmm. stew yeah yeah right uh, I think in 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 Senegal they call it mafe. Yeah. Instead yes. of using the chicken, you put peanut butter. Oh. You mean I mean you put pumpkin. Pumpkin. pumpkin okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I'll definitely. Because uh, pumpkin was a big thing also when I lived in in South Africa. I didn't know it was an African until I lived in South Africa. I was like, okay. oh yeah, yeah we that was, love pumpkin. <laughs> That was new to me. Okay, well, that was the last rapid fire question. This has been such an enlightening conversation. Um, I've learned so much, and I'm sure people that are listening have. Um, and I again, like, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's an important story, and I think as people, you know, as the new year kicks off and people are thinking about the things that they need to do better, you gave some really great, simple tips to start to improve the way you think about healthy eating. And so I hope that people take that on and can still enjoy your African food. <laughs> no, and, and it is, you know, if I may just add yeah, in by saying absolutely. this, you know, food, food is more than nutrition. And food is love, food is yeah. life, food is culture, food is everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you have to take away the things that you love to eat to be healthy then you're probably doing it a little wrong and we we need to figure out how you you can eat the foods that you love and still be healthy and it's figureoutable yeah that's and that's a great way to end it so thank you so much um and yeah we'll follow your story online look forward to the podcast and the book coming out soon wonderful thank you so much for having me y'all and i appreciate you (laughs) i'll speak with you okay great Hey guys, thanks for listening to Item 13, an Essence 13 production. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. To keep up to date on news and events from Essence 13, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Essence and the number 13. Thank you.